the race is on and it looks like heartaches and the winner loses all. Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal. Happy to be with you from the Brooklyn Bunker once again. Going to have a very fun and interesting show for you today. And it starts off by bringing in our usual co-host. He's from Windstar Farm and he's on the show all the time. He's Sean Tugel. Sean, how are you today? Doing great, Pete. Doing great and uh, looking forward to another uh fun show and and I think there's going to be some great stories to be told uh, on this show regarding uh, certainly the loss of a legend in AT&T. And that's where we'll begin things today with the the sad news that came over the transom last week that AP Indy no longer with us. And we wanted to reach out to somebody who had the perspective of AP Indy from the entire of his career and also throughout his stud career and we could think of no one better than our first guest he is an extremely well-respected judge of a horse with many years of experience in the business currently a semi-retired thoroughbred consultant but was the associate director of sales at keeneland throughout ap indy's reign as it were tom thornberry welcome to the show Thanks so much, Pete. I appreciate it. And uh, that's quite a buildup. Uh, <laughs> I have to, have to live up to that. <laughs> when did you first become aware that this uh, Seattle slough cult out of a dam called Weekend Surprise was supposed to be something special? I think uh, under the tutelage of Neil Drysdale, he, uh, he showed up pretty quickly. And um, and uh, went on, I guess, as a three-year-old to, to, to win the Belmont, which showed uh, stamina, which was kind of an important part of the package. And, uh, and became, uh, after, after, the, after the Belmont, he won the, uh, the Breeders' Cup uh, Classic. And that, uh, that made him champion horse of the year that year. So he was an immediate success uh, as a three-year-old. And, and I, I suppose if you if you look at it uh, from a breeder's standpoint, this was uh, the culmination of a lifelong quest by Will Parrish to create just this this type horse. And uh, and he is, uh, uh, I guess, through his career as a stallion, has become stamped as as a breed shaper. Uh, I think he ranks right up there with Mr. P and Northern Dancer as to the influence he's had on the breed absolutely i want to talk about that concept of breed shaping it a little bit but i want to go back to the early promise this one showed obviously in the sales business you talk about the goal to create a stallion and one that would have this kind of success ap indy had everything right from when he was born, from what I've read about and, and heard about in terms of the pedigree and also just his physicality went on to yeah. be the top priced yearling of 1990 at 2.9 million back when that meant something. <laughs> I, yeah, for sure. Were, were you aware of, of what a prospect this one was back then? Were you, what was your, uh, were you involved in the thoroughbred business at that time? Oh yes, of course. But uh, but uh, I think it's, I think a buzz of horses like that, and and also like uh, Pusheyachi Pekas, who came along a little later and brought about four 
$4 million. You know, horses like that, uh, they, they command the attention of everyone at the sale. Uh, and particularly back then, uh, AP Indy sold us a yearling in the July sale, which was a very uh, small number of horses, not, not so much cast upon them. The immensity of the uh, September sale, so he really stood out. And and at two point nine million dollars, that, that was a, a big price. And uh, bought by a, a Japanese, uh, which shocked everyone. So, uh, I, but you know, in looking looking beyond his race career, when he retired, I I suppose we can all be very thankful that he didn't go to Japan and become another Sunday silence or 49er that we regret having sold to Japan. The owner back then, uh, Tomo Nori Soromaki. And yes. give us a little bit of history about horses uh, traveling overseas at that point or Japanese involvement. What? How big of a shock was that at the time? Well, he... he particularly had raced for several years prior to uh, prior to purchasing this colt, probably 10 years of, of racing under his belt. So he, he was very knowledgeable and, uh, and, and for our good fortune, he put the colt with Neil Drysdale, who took his time getting him together. And uh, in fact, uh, he was uh, diagnosed as a, a ridgling. In other words, he had one testicle that was up high. And uh, that usually creates a lot of difficulty for horses in training. It's painful, and typically they're gelded. Uh, they, they remove the testicle up, up inside as well as the other testicles. But in this case, uh, fortunately, they, they just removed the, the testicle that was, was up high. So uh, he remained uh, with, with one operative testicle and, and therefore, you know, became the sensational sire that he was meant to be. How often does that procedure result in infertility, or is it very common that as long as you've got one, you can still potentially breed? No, it's, yes, as long as you've got one, you can absolutely potentially breed. That's not a problem. If you you need to, to probably uh, uh, dictate their, their schedule a little bit more closely than the average horse. But, uh, no, they, they produce ample semen and obviously he got the job done tom certainly uh with, with your involvement on on the sales staff at, at keeneland for many many years and and uh, you saw many young sires come in with, with great potential but very few times do we ever see the the sales topper that that goes on to be a classic winner horse of the year and, and certainly um in the early 90s when, when book sizes were a little smaller uh, his, the consolidation of just supreme mares that, that were bred to this horse from the very beginning. But uh, why don't you just kind of, how early did he start stamping himself and, and what kind of excitement was there when, when you did get to see these handful of, of unbelievable horses? And, and it was crazy going back and, and just seeing the, the span he he has had. I mean, just, you know, we have horses here at Windstar that have 15 grade one winners and they're elite horses and they're, they're excellent. And then you look at APN who has 31 grade one winners and you're just like, that's just unbelievable. But yeah. um, certainly I'm sure there's some horses that really stamped uh, themselves in your memory throughout the years of inspecting all the APN. Well, I think, uh, I think when you, when you just look at uh, 
some of his best. Of course, uh, Monshaft was a horse of the year and and champion older horse. Uh, Bernardini was champion three-year-old colt, and he's going on to be a, a good uh, good sire. But but now it's becoming a very influential broodmare sire. Uh, Rags to riches, she beat the boys in the Belmont and uh, kind of created the hat trick really for for Seattle Slough, AP Indy, Rags to riches, three from that tight little niche to, to win the Belmont. Uh, she she was sensational. Take Charge Indy, which you guys have brought back uh, after shipping him out. Uh, he uh, He's becoming influential as well. His two-year-old crop uh, surprised everyone. Uh, Honor Code was a champion dirt horse. I loved him in the, uh, in the uh, Matt Mile. Sure. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible win. And he didn't have so much success with his, this past year with his two-year-old crop. But his three-year-old, I think, is where he's really going to start, Sean. And I think he's more of a throwback, actually, to AP Indy. Uh, uh, you can, you've got uh, other horses like uh, Malibu Moon, of course, and, and uh, uh, congrats. But uh, when you get down to it, probably the, the best of all was Pulpit. Mm. And he had... Brilliant speed as a racehorse. He was so influential as a sire now, uh, having produced Tappet, who immediately uh, had a two-year-old champion, Philly, uh, start him bound right out of the box. And uh, when you looked at them, uh, they were kind of narrow-chested, not a whole lot of shoulder, not a lot of definition. And they ran really green, which they still do, in my opinion, even up to three or four years old, they kind of all over the racetrack, but they, they were so fast and so much better than, than the average. Uh, he, he's now produced a lot of young guns, really, really sharp young guns like Tonalist, Frosted, Tapazar, uh, uh, and, the, and the best really has been Constitution. What a, what a knockout he's been as a young guy. <laughs> It, it is it is incredible how how really I mean you look at Tap and how established he is and and you almost kind of forget that AP Indy's his grandsire it, 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 you know he's he's done so much himself and and has really like you know in AP Indy how he's really made his own branch maybe of, of the whole slew line or so uh, it is crazy how how he's had such a substantial uh, influence in, in many many ways there was there's one horse I'll see if you remember him. Uh, a very special night that I will never forget was uh, the first full out of his berries was an APND, and, and he has more fame for being a very high priced RNA than than, than <laughs> talent on the racetrack. He unfortunately got hurt prematurely, but I don't know if you remember that that chestnut that they called Balanzari that was born on on Valentine's Day. That was uh, one that had a lot of presence about himself. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, that's fun that you you remember things like that. That's that's great. That's I I remember. Uh, all Trieste, uh, uh, who really didn't get much of a chance to be a sire. He, he died very early. Uh, but I thought he was almost perfect. I just loved his confirmation, and I loved his body style. I just thought, God, what a, what a stallion this one's going to be. And then he sort of, uh, I, don't, I don't know how quickly he, he died into his career, but it was, it was very soon, and it was a, a darn shame because he really 
he really was a beautiful horse. It's, it's just, and in fact, anywhere you go around the world and you look at sires that are by AP Indy, I always see a top line that is AP Indy. Uh, it's just, uh, it's always near perfect. And, uh, and it's very definitive. Uh, there's nothing like AP Indy for putting a perfect top line on a horse. And that, I'm kind of a top line guy. I like, I like a leggy stature, but I really love a, a pretty top line. And, and that's consistent with AP Indy. Tom, I want to pause on that idea for a minute. We've got a wide range of listeners in the show, a lot of people who are in the breeding business, but we also have some horse players and some people who are curious about the industry but not as familiar with all the ins and outs. When you talk about a horse's top line to a novice, somebody not familiar with the term, how would you describe what you're talking about? I'm just uh, I draw a line over the over the and over the back to the to the rump and over the rump to the tail and just that stretch is the top line and it's and it's so perfect it's with AP Indy it's almost every single time uh, and it, and it's also it passes passes down generation to generation his sons pass along this lovely top line as well so it's uh, I don't know when you look at beauty of anything you know uh any animal any human being whatever you see something that's appealing something that's consistent that you really appreciate and that's for me the sign of uh, uh, of the mark that ap indies made physically on the breed I, and i i'll take that a little farther in that um that I've always, I, I, my, part of my trade route is South America, and I've always promoted AP Indy, our sons of AP Indy, our daughters of AP Indy, to find AP Indy in the pedigree if you have dirt racetracks. Uh, it, this horse was the perfect dirt stallion. And uh, uh, there's, a, there's a horse, for instance, by pulpit in Uruguay, named Ecclesiastic, who's at the top of the list of stallions there. And, uh, and uh, uh, Constitution this year, by the way, is, is the top two-year-old sire in Chile. Uh, California Chrome, who's by Lucky Pulpit, who's, you know, right out of the sire line. He has a yearling in Chile. So, and, then, and then there's another horse, uh, Preaching to the Devil, who's a very solid sire in Peru. So, uh, the APND line has been picked up all around the world, wherever there's good dirt racing. And uh, I think uh, I think APND's influence as a stallion for creating the American dirt speed breed uh, is undeniable. One more thing about those physical characteristics, that strong top line that he passes along. What characteristics does that typically indicate in a racehorse is it related to speed to stamina to durability but i'm guessing it's more than just an aesthetically pleasing aspect it must have some sort of impact on their ability to run yes yeah i think uh, i think it has a, a definite uh, impact on ability to run i think it has to do with uh, 
with economy of motion. It has to do with uh, symmetry. It has to do with uh, fluid movement. Uh, all of those things that that, uh, that propel thoroughbreds to, to high speeds. Uh, that's where it comes from. And I, I, I don't know. In his pedigree, Bolt Ruler stands out uh, really strongly. Uh, of course, Seattle Slough was a monster. He was a really powerfully built horse. Uh, but this horse has has uh, uh, a certain uh, refinement uh, over those those stallions that uh, that's all his own, and uh, I'm sure uh, it was recognized as a yearling, and it's been recognized as a racehorse, and certainly through generations thereafter, it's been recognized in his project. If this question is politically charged in a way that I, as an outsider, don't understand, feel free to punt it back to me. But I do remember with the APND progeny in particular, for many years, there was a statistic at Saratoga about them not winning under or having a poor winning percentage under a certain distance. And you mentioned a horse like honor code and the horses coming around a little bit later. Have we reached a point in the breeding industry where the pendulum has almost swung too far and away horses like that, a Belmont winner and horses that maybe they're fast all the time, but they take a little bit longer to develop where that isn't maybe as prized in the year 2020 as it was 20 years ago. Is there something to you? What I'm saying about this is—is is it could APND be as possible today? Well, I, I think probably what what changed the breed uh, during that that period of time that that, uh, that you're looking back to was the uh, was the development of uh, of Stormcat and that uh, that precocity, that two year old speed, that that blazing fast right out of the gate. And they were certainly not uh, not uh, uh, stamina type horses such as APND produces. Uh, they had just incredible speed, and uh, I think that with the with the uh, introduction of a guy named Wayne Lucas who got his <laughs> hands on all of those little bold rulers and all of those little storm storm cats. Uh, uh, that's what he was looking for at the sale physically. He was looking for that little quarter horse type with the big butt, short legs, uh, lots of muscle, short neck, speed, speed type models. Physically, AP and he gives you a leggy, stretchy, pretty top-lined, beautiful, elegant, turn-type horse. The type horse that goes on to classic distance, at least begins at a mile uh, to really to really get it going. He, he is a racehorse with a come-from-behind kind of racehorse. So he's cast that through his through his genetic makeup and also his physical makeup. Uh, that that stamina, that uh, distance beyond a mile. Now, whether it's appreciated uh, in this country, uh, Belmont winners, as a rule, are not as 
uh, immediately accepted by breeders as the uh, as a shorter distance speed model because um, they want immediate gratification. They want two year old speed, and you don't necessarily get that with with APN. Uh, uh, I, I can think of uh, uh, other. Belmont winners, like, for instance, uh, Sean would recognize uh, Drosselmeyer, uh, a big, handsome, stretchy, leggy horse, uh, atypical for distorted humor, uh, was a Belmont winner and sort of shunned by breeders, uh, or at least not readily acceptable. Well, he's gone on to South America and become a, a monster sire in Brazil. And in fact, uh, there's a little filly that uh, that shipped up here, uh, Olympic Jolie, uh, and she's out in California. And she she just got beat the other day a little bit, but she's Men's she's a talent. monster. Yeah, she's got great. Talent. Yeah, she great has talent. tremendous talent. Yeah. So, um, a lot of times the breeders are looking for precocity, and if you're a Belmont winner or you show stamina, they sort of look elsewhere. But, um, but, uh, and that, that, that originated with, with Wayne Lucas and his, his, uh, uh, his propensity to buy that speed type model and was very successful with it. But I think now owners particularly are looking down the derby trail. They're looking for, you know, mile and a quarter kind of horses, two turn types, and they're looking for a leggier, stretchier, uh, bigger model, and falls right in the lap of all of the sons of of uh, AP Indy and their sons. So uh, we're going back now as breeders, I think, to that two turn type horse, which uh, appeals to me uh, very much so. And I think as far as the quality of racing, uh, it appeals to the, both the, the, the public, the betters, uh, the owners, the trainers. Everybody wants to be going down that derby trail, you know, if they can. And uh, so, so AP Indy fits hand in glove. Before we let you get out of here, I just want to hear a little bit more about what you're doing now. It sounds, uh, it sounds pretty interesting. Personally, what I'm doing now, yeah. uh, uh, well, I, I looked at the courses for a number of different people at the sale, uh, kind of quietly give them advice. I let them pull the trigger. I'd rather not be an agent. I'd rather just tell them, you know, this is a good prospect and maybe this one isn't. Uh, and then I, 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 uh, I work with a couple of different farms as a consultant to help, uh, uh, with their breedings and their matings and uh, help direct which horses to keep, which horses to sell, that sort of thing. And then I go to South America still to help uh, several different uh, sale companies in South America uh, create selected sales uh, down there. So I go farm to farm on uh, in, in Peru, uh, Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, and Brazil organize these selected sales and it's uh it's a, about a 10 to 15 year 
uh, quest for me. I've been doing this for a long time, and it's uh, it's really gratifying when you have a, a a bunch of really sharp, graded stakes winners come out of those sales. And in Peru, for instance, they now have connected two sale two uh, two uh, uh, what they call selectos two-year-old races, one for fillies, one for colts, for a whole lot of money. And you can only run in those races if you've gone through this sale. And uh, uh, so so that's that's a lot of fun. It's, it's pleasant for me to go farm to farm and talk horses and look at horses. And pretty much 365 days of the year, I'm, I'm looking at horses one, one place or another, which is <laughs> the best part of my life. That's fantastic. What's one more question for you that I promise I'll let you go. What's one lesson do you, you think North American racing could learn from South American racing? They don't break their horses until they're two. And that's the lesson. Simple as that. Uh, they don't break yearlings. Their babies are broken as two-year-olds. And they've got horses that run to 10 or 12 every day. Uh, you pull up a card from any racetrack in South America, and there are lots of older horses running and still running. Uh, there's a different economic model there, whereby you know you're not you're not in a hurry to remove the horse from training because he's bred to be a stallion, uh, but you're encouraged to race, and so they they maintain their horses uh, carefully, slowly gradually and they start late and those horses last a long time it's very 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 interesting stuff do you think there's a way in which it would be feasible for some operation in the united states to adopt a model a little bit more like that or is the business model just too different here i think we're we're, we're geared for two-year-old speed in this country and that's what that's what sean could tell you as far as what makes stallions uh Everybody's looking for that. If they don't produce, then they start looking away, uh, which is which is sad. You know, we're, we're, we're and Australia is much the same way. Everybody's geared to go, 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 and uh, but the economics are entirely different in South South America because uh, there's not that encouragement to start a horse so early. So they can take their time, and and in my my uh, opinion, do it right. Their 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 culture is is close closely related to the horse. Everybody down there rides. It's just uh, it's a, a different different world altogether. Sounds fascinating and worthy of more exploration at another time, but. Tom sure. Thornbury, I want to thank you so much for your time today, your memories of AP Indy and your insight into the, the breeding business over the last several decades. I learned so much. Thank you for your time. Well, well it's been a great pleasure for me. I, 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 I think that horse truly uh, is one of the, of the greatest achievements of Will Parrish's life, and, and he's had a lot of wonderful achievements, but that horse that was the top of the list. Okay, we're going to move on to our next guest, who I believe was also the first guest we ever had on these In the Ring airwaves from Phasing Tipton. He's Evan Ferraro. Evan, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? 
Life is good. Life is good up here in Brooklyn, though I will say I wish I was down in South Florida. Phasic Tipton sponsoring the Fountain of Youth this weekend. Are you are you in, are you there yet? Are you in Kentucky? What's what's your travel plan? Uh, I'm in Kentucky at the moment, and um, I, I'm not going to be down there, but we'll be well represented down there with um, on a site and uh, Grant Williamson, and uh, of course our our man on the street, Ramiro Restrepo. He knows so Miami. Well represented. You know that guy. Do, do we yeah. have? Do we have, uh, is, 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 can, can you let the cat out of the bag on who's going to do the actual uh, trophy presentation <laughs> for the Fountain of Youth? I thought there was betting on this. I don't think we determined. can, if we release the information, then they're going to take down the betting. No, who is? <laughs> well, well, I don't know. I, I think the three of them are going to do like a tough mutter down there on the beach <laughs> or something. And Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, Phasic sponsoring this event, and you've got some prominent Phasic grads in the mix this weekend. What are your thoughts? I know it's a few days out. We don't have PPs yet. But from this far out, Evan, what are your thoughts on the race? Uh, well, this is always an important race. And we've seen so many prominent three-year-olds you know, run here or launch careers here. And, uh, I mean, we're thrilled to be sponsoring it. We do a kind of a championship meet-long sponsorship with Gulfstream that it begins with the peg fist and then now fountain of youth. And then it goes through our Gulfstream two-year-old sale, which this year will be April 1st right after the Florida Derby. So um, it's an exciting stretch. And I mean, as far as say the Tipton grads, we're really excited to see Dennis this moment back on the racetrack. He's uh, uh, bought a Saratoga by the Albaz and Dale Romans and uh, certainly showed how special he is. So hopefully we're going to see a, see that again uh, this Saturday. In addition to that, I believe Shotsky's running, who is a Kentucky October yearling. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to see. You got Dennis's Moment, who's a $400,000 Saratoga grad, and then you got Shotsky, who's a $25,000 Days of Tips in October grad. So you got all ranges of the spectrum there. Oh, that's very notable. I hadn't thought about that, and it makes sense. Shotsky so impressive in the Remsen. Dennis's Moment, I remember just being of all the horses I saw, Breeders' Cup week. Uh, in the flesh, just so impressive. Shame that he uh, lost his chance there at the start. I don't know if either of you have had the opportunity to see any of the workouts. We're in this day and age now where we can uh, see so many of these workouts, but are any indications from about how Dennis's moment is looking coming into this race? Well, it's sure everything that uh, I've, you know, I read following his work too back was certainly Dale Roman seemed to be uh, glowing about it. Uh, Sean, you watch a lot of the workouts. Did you get a chance to see his last few? Uh, I definitely saw his last one. Obviously, he looks uh, like he's traveling very well, and, and all reports from Dale Romans, the son of Tisnow, as uh, is, is all systems go, I think he's looking for a lot of redemption after the unfortunate events. Uh, it seems like some bad luck tends to follow this horse around throughout his career so far. But um, certainly, uh, you know, as, Adam, as Evan was, uh, was pointing to, the Fountain of Youth is a, usually a very good indicator of horses who are um, launching themselves to be the prominent horses for the, for the uh, Triple Crown Trail. And, and certainly, uh, Evan has that sale coming up there, which is, is a phenomenal sale, and, and it's been good to us and, and good to the Fountain of Youth. Certainly one grad that we can uh, all talk about that was you know, an excellent grad was Audible, who who showed himself there over that racetrack and then went on to be a Florida Derby winner there. But, uh, yeah, certainly the, the sales also populating horses for the triple crown trail this year. Obviously Nadal came out of the, the rate, the sale last year. Are there any other big time horses out of that sale that are making their marks? 
Yeah, there are. Um, you've got Independence Hall, who um, certainly showed himself to be, you know, one of the better horses in the crop. We've got, he wouldn't be a three-year-old kind of classic type at this stage, but a four-wheel drive was in sale last year. And then we've got some also kind of exciting horses, Governor Morris, who Sean knows very well. Yeah. Uh, near track record in his comeback race uh, a couple weeks ago. He's an exciting horse. And then um, <clears throat> and we've got just we got uh, Donya Veloce who's coming back, uh, who's Philly, but she's supposed to run here next weekend, I believe. And uh, I mean, really, it's uh, it's been an incredible crop from this last year, considering you know it's the sale has got about 185 catalogs usually, about 182 right now this year. And if you read through the list of three-year-olds this year that all came out of that slim catalog last year. You've got Four Wheel Drive, Independence Hall, Nadal, uh, Bourbon Bay, Donya Veloce, Four Wheel Drive, Three Wheeler, Governor Morris, uh, Nikki and Papa, the maiden that was third at Gulfstream and Great Mistake first out. Um, Shoplifted, Wrecking Crew, who was a great two-year-old last year. I mean, there's a lot of horses out there um, that came out of this sale that are going to be prominent three-year-olds this year. It's an impressive so, roster. Show you. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot, I mean, a lot it's, there. It's a deep catalog. You know, it's not a one of the it's not one of the bigger two-year-olds in training show catalogs, but it's just loaded with quality. So I mean, you really your your odds are, are good to find something here that you can have some fun with. You you speak about having to build that quality, and certainly when when you're trying to put together basically a 200 horse sale uh you have to be very specific on the quality that you bring there at what point do uh does your staff start getting out there and, and contacting people who you think would uh would have the type of horse to put it in this sale and uh you know maybe go through a little bit of that process for people sure uh usually the process starts at the yearling sales the year before and uh you, certainly with our sales of phasic tipton particularly the selected sales and we've, you know, inspected yearlings and, and watch them sell and we see who buy them, you know, we're proactive with those guys, you know, the pin hookers right off the rip after they purchased them and, you know, want to make sure that our sales are on their minds. And as, as they go through the yearling season and see who's buying and, and what they're buying, we like to keep up with them. And then uh, the first kind of organized trips would be in December in Ocala. And we go down there and we, we go to all the different training centers and, and visit with guys and they show us the horses that they think, you know, could be those type of horses for a selected two-year-old training sale. And um, it, it goes from there. That You know, that's early in their training there, but usually they've, you know, started to have an idea of it. And then we just keep in touch with them as we work towards getting the, the catalog together. Um, you know, it usually comes out first part of February, so. Uh, we, we got down from Kentucky to go around, and we've got uh, our Ocala rep, Peter Penny, that's uh, down there year-round, and he keeps good tabs with all these horses. And um, it's a process, you know. Really, it starts at the yearling sales and comes all the way to fruition at the drill and training sale. That's very interesting to see how far back the process goes. And it sounds like this year's field of, uh, of, of catalog uh, listees is coming along pretty well. Yes, yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of sire power. A lot of good individuals, you know, nice female families. It's uh, it's 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 a really good group. We're gonna have some exciting horses. To be talking about this time next year, I think that are coming out of sale. Evan, I think something else that um, I think we like to talk about on the show and, and definitely uh, get people aware of is getting into racehorse ownership. Certainly, that's something that 
you've uh, had some luck with and, and you participate in, and, and a lot of us in the business, you know, have a little skin in the game here and there. But uh, what, why don't you just express upon a little bit of, you know, if, if you're looking to get in the game and you just want to own a little piece of the horse and, and try to take it and, and have the luck that uh, some people get to have in the game. And, and you know, how, how can people get into it in, in small small doses where, where they can uh, afford it if they're just trying to figure out how to do things? Well, you've got a number of routes to go. You can, you know, if you've got people you know in the industry that are racing, like, I, you know, I always, I've had little partnerships as well as you have, Sean. And um, just give somebody an opportunity to get in at a small level and get a feel for how it goes and, and what the expenses are. Um, just making a connection with somebody that way. Or, you know, certainly there are all the syndicates out there, and, and a lot of them, you know, do similar similar offerings to, to new investors. So it's a good way to get your feet wet, have some fun without being, you know, totally out there for for 100% of a horse. So, I, you know, the syndicates are a great spot or getting in with people that have already got some horses going that are at the races and you can jump right in with. That's one of the things I think has always been appealing about the partnership model. We've seen a lot of owners who go on to be very big owners in their own name, maybe even running in their own name, but cutting your teeth with a group where you can really get to understand the process and put yourself in these social situations where you can meet more people and learn so much about the industry. I would think that's maybe the hidden benefit of some of these partnerships is just exposing people to this to this larger world of racing do you, do you think that's right evan oh 100 percent. you know you it, it's low risk it, it's all upside for you and, and there's a lot of people that have jumped out of these partnerships to go and, and be prominent on their own and i mean i'm correct me if i'm wrong i believe the outlaws were involved with donegal racing initially um you know now they're running in the fountain of youth so um it's a great place to start I like that. I like that idea very much. What else you've been working on work-wise? How does your year start to unfold at this point? Obviously, there's a big emphasis on the the, the sale coming up in uh, in a month or so in Miami. But what else are you working on? Uh, we've got 14 auctions a year now, and so we stay pretty busy uh, year-round. And we're usually doing two things. We're recruiting entries for the sales or recruiting buyers once the catalogs come out. So um, this is our next This is our next sale at Gulfstream. It's a big sale. It's one of our flagship two-year-old sale. It's got a long history going back to the Hialeah and the Calder days. And um, after that, we've got a sale coming up in Maryland, the Land Fuel and Training Sale, which has just become an absolute gangbuster sale. And... I mean, in the last 12 months, we've got like eight individual grade one winners that come out at sale. So, I mean, wow. it's a fantastic place to buy a horse. And, uh, but in between these two sales, we're really gearing up for, for yearling inspection season. And our selected sales are the July sale, which is the first sale of the year, yearling sale in Kentucky, then Saratoga, uh, which this year is our 100th Saratoga sale. So, it, it's a oh, big cool. one. Yeah, it'll be a great event. Good luck going on. And it's going to be an exciting place. If you're in the business of buying and selling, it's going to be a really exciting market. So I encourage all people out there to, to make plans to be there either uh, as a buyer, a fan, or uh, think about some of those nice yearlings. So, um, but we'll be doing inspections there beginning in March. And over the course of March and April, we'll go all over the country looking at yearlings for the sale. And, and the New York bread sale, too, which is right after the main sale of Saratoga. And that's become such an important sale as well. 
And Evan, you, as you said, Sage Kitchen has, has 14 sales throughout the year. You have two-year-old sales, yearling sales, mixed sales. Uh, for anyone listening who is wanting to get into to horse ownership, and uh, is there anything they can do to, to get themselves lined up? Can they go to sagekitchen.com? And is there anyone there that, that can get them lined up and get the credit rolling? Yeah, I'll tell you, if you go to facetip.com, you can find information in the forms that uh, you need to get going or just call into our office and uh, Carla, our receptionist, she'll get you to the right spot. We're pretty accessible, easy to answer questions, easy to help you get set up. So. One analog I never thought I'd see between the breeding business, horse racing, and book publishing, where I came from before I worked in racing, before I worked at the at the racing forum. And it's this idea that you've always got, it's basically three things going on at once. There's what you're working on right now. There's what you worked on last year that you're still paying close attention to, the, the, the horses out there on the track racing or the books that are out there in the world being published. And then there's the stuff you're thinking about that you have to publish for next year. And or yeah. the, the horses to populate the next sale, so I can I can relate actually to having so many things go on at once. I imagine it can be dizzying, but I also imagine you don't have a lot of boring days. That's the truth, and uh, it flies by. I mean, I feel like it was just this time. I mean, it certainly has been a year since we're getting ready to go down to Gulfstream for last year's sale. I mean, it feels like the blink of an eye. So uh, it's a fast moving game, no doubt, especially the auction world. So. Well, Evan, we appreciate having you on here today. Hopefully, we'll get you back on soon. There's certainly no shortage of things to talk about. Thank you so much for your time today. It's always great to be with you guys. It was a little better. This the first time we spoke when you were just starting. I was sitting in a Chick-fil-A parking lot in Huntington, West Virginia, in a rental car. You got the first ever, the first ever, first of many insults of Sean Tugel on this show came from you, Evan. And I, and I, I, I knew when you when you got that line over on Tugel, I thought to myself, maybe we'll stick around for a while. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great tradition. I'm glad I was a part of it. <laughs> Good stuff. Sean, I I hope you don't mind me making fun of you there. No, hell no. (laughs) You seem to, you give as good as you get on the show. I think it's fair to say. What we really need to do is get Kinchin back soon to talk about some of these three-year-olds. You know, he's on Fox. He's, uh, he's doing all this in the money work. Now he's, uh, he's pulling the, pulling the strings on this budding uh, media empire that we have. So we, we let him, I leave him to his devices. You know what I'm saying? Good. I don't, Absolutely. I don't want to. We'll bring him out when we need to bring him out. And it will be soon because I do think as much attention as we paid on this show to the two year old racing last year, it's probably time to start turning our attention to these three year olds. Yeah, like that Basin's coming back. I saw Basin yeah. work. It's come back. We had this conversation off air the other day, and we'll delve into it more next week, maybe yeah. with JK. Yeah. But it's never been harder. I think for in a way for form handicappers to get a handle on the three-year-olds because they're the horses are just racing so infrequently we don't have a lot of form to go on. Well, and nobody's nobody's like back-to-back races together. I mean, a thousand words is true too. Is like the only horses put back-to-back races together. If you really want to talk about two-turn form right now. And it's also hard just because, and this ties a little bit into the conversation we were having with Tom at the top of the show. How much fun was that, by the way? But the mm-hmm. the the difference in the uh, in breeding now, it does seem like so many of these horses you're like confident about them getting the mile, the mile and an eighth, 
and that, but it seems like they're a lot of them. They're not really necessarily going to be getting that mile and a quarter on pedigree. They're going to be getting it on bread for a mile and an eighth and, and, and training. <laughs> and it just that. So then having that as another open question, it's uh, I'll tell you what, as a handicapper, it doesn't, it's not frustrating. It's challenging, but it does add another, another little bit of a wrinkle as we're looking at these races. Well, yeah. I mean, when you look at the pedigree in today's world of three-year-olds, there's, there's really only a handful of lines that you can confidently say are true mile and a quarter uh, fire lines. Everything kind of is more like mile, mile and eighth, and you just hope you hold on. Yeah. Or you're running against a bunch of other horses who don't want a mile and a quarter. But, <laughs> but there, you know, there, there are definitely some horses uh, that we've already seen um, that, that I think, you know, look at, you just look at the three sons of constitution, independence hall, uh, tis the law and governor Morris. I don't think there's any questions that those horses can get, uh, it definitely a mile major or further. They, they certainly have, since they've gone around of ground, uh, have, have really, I mean, stamped themselves as even more, not much say dominant because, you know, independence hall to get beat, but it was an extremely fast race. Correct. So, um, you know, they're, they're certainly are separating themselves as, as the races get longer. I was going to actually point that out, lest I be accused of a host fail. Somebody out there might say, oh, but Independence Hall got tired late. Yeah, he got tired late because he was attacking a pace that was so fast. I wouldn't give up, I, with you, I would not give up on the idea of him being able to go a proper route of ground. But let's put a pin in this conversation here. We're going to have a lot uh, more data points coming up. And at some point, though, I would ask you, Sean, to put on that hat, uh, your, your professional hat. Give us your opinion about some of these pedigrees and which ones are likely to improve as they go longer. But let, let's get a few more horses back and running and on the trail and wait till this picture sorts itself out a little bit more before we do the deep dive on that one. Sounds like a plan, Pete. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. I'd like to thank Sean Tugel, as always. We'd like to thank Tom Thornberry and also Evan Ferraro of Fasic Tipton. Most of all, we'd like to thank all of you, the listeners, for tuning in and making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way. <laughs>